Good to see you. Good morning, everyone. Come on in. Special welcome back to the students. Class tomorrow, right? Isn't that how it goes? Yeah. Who's ready for another semester? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, good to see you again. We've been cruising along in Genesis, so some of you are are well aware of this. We're doing a study of Genesis here. Um, there, I guess we had a couple weeks off for Christmas, but we've been cruising along. We're at chapter 14 now. You probably heard that mentioned up there. Uh, it's an odd chapter. It's a strange one. Uh, many will call it the most challenging of the book, so uh, <laughs> keep your expectations low. <laughs> um, it is strange. I think I think part of the point is its strangeness, and I'll try to unpack that as we, as we move along. Just where, where have we been and what have we been doing? Um, Abraham, he gets the call. Last week, Pastor led us through chapter 13, which is the separation of, of Abraham and Lot. Chapter 14, we're talking stuff on a world stage, and uh, Lot gets captured. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a very different kind of vibe to it, but uh, I'll say more about that soon. Let's begin with, uh, with a word of prayer. We pray. Lord God, your Father in heaven, gently call those who have gone astray that they may find the saving way. Let every conscience sore oppressed in you find peace and heavenly rest. Shine on the darkened and the cold, Recall the wanderers to your fold. Unite all those who walk apart. Confirm the weak and doubting heart. In Jesus we pray. Amen. That was the opening hymn, a couple stanzas from the opening hymn. Maybe not quite as central in orbit to the other uh, propers of today, the readings and, and hymnody, but that... I think goes a long way toward evoking the reality of Genesis 14. I think if you forget everything, I would say this. Genesis 14 is about um, liberty to the captives. That's a quote from, Psalm, from Isaiah 61. Our Lord quotes it in Luke 4 when he stands up and reads the scroll from Isaiah. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim the good news. Um, the year of our Lord's year of our Lord's favor and liberty to the captives. Um, this is, I would say, uh, a kind of captivity before you know about the captivity, which is obviously a huge central theme in the those captive. And their captivity is not the first or the last. We've had Egyptian captivity. We'll have, of course, the greatest captivity: sin, death, and the devil. Okay, and so the Bible is no stranger to this theme of captivity. Here in chapter 14, it sounds like we're in a, all of a sudden we're just kind of in a different place. We're going to have all these kings uh, mentioned and so on, but Lot is taken captive. And uh, this is a story about how he's, how he's restored. Um, this is like, again, a captivity before there's a captivity. You remember as we go through Genesis, you're going to see things that sound like they're anachronistic. They're before their time. Abel op offers up the fat portions. Well, that's all through Leviticus. We don't have that yet. And yet, whoa, 
This is like Leviticus before there's Leviticus. Abe and Sarah go down to Egypt and have an exodus. Whoa, that's before the exodus, right? Um, and so also there's a captivity before the captivity. And the first part of this is kind of the captivity. This is kind of like, this is the church on offense, you might say. The last part with Melchizedek, which usually is, gets more attention, is, I would say, the church on defense. But they both have to do with captivity. So first things first, we have no idea. <laughs> as, you get into, as you get into chapter 14 of Genesis, all of a sudden you get a bunch of names. Oh, boy, should I had somebody read this, Magda. This would be really, this would be really tricky, Magda. <laughs> you can kind of glance. Maybe we won't. Um, you'd have to just say it with confidence. That's one thing. I remember one of my first readings in public was... Uh, Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost, with all the different nations there. <laughs> Eliamites and Parthians and Cretans. And it's just, oh, man. Um, we have lots of world kings, and nobody really knows anything about them. Okay, now why is it important? Why don't you tell me more about these kings, especially if we can't even really reconstruct them? There's so many, okay, the kings of Persia. We have inscriptions. You can kind of dig into these things. Even back to Assyria, S.R. Hadon and stuff. You can dig in history and see that, uh, that these are real historical people and so on. But that's, that's like a thousand years apart from, from Abe. I mean, a thousand years farther back. We just don't have stuff on these people. And so here's when the historians start to think, well, maybe it's just a legend or all these critical claims. But I think I'm okay with not knowing exactly who these kings are because I don't think that's really the central point. I think the point is, as you get into chapter 14, that we are talking about the biggest and the baddest of the world. Okay, that's what these kings are. Five on four. If you look at chapter four, so Abe, Abe separates from Lot. Boy, this is one of these, this is going to test my, this is one, we definitely need a map for this one. Abe separates from Lot. Lot insists on going where? He wants paradise. He wants the Garden of Eden right now in this life. That's what he's after. It looks like Eden here in this temporal life. And so that's what he goes after. And for him, that actually happens to be where? Sodom. Oh, you know. And we're even told the men are very wicked down there. I, I want something that looks like Eden. I got to have what I got to have. Yeah, but that's a terrible place. That's going to be a bad place. I got to go there. You know, that's just sin. That's the reality of it. Speaking of captivity, right? Lot goes there. Abe hangs out where? By a nice little oak, a famous tree in the promised land. That's where his oaks of Mamre. I'll just hang out right here. Um, doesn't look like my land yet, but this is my land. And I'm content to just be by this tree. That's the contentment. That's the rest for his restlessness. Okay. Now, the beginning of chapter 14 is... All of a sudden, we're being told uh, what? We've got a, in the days of, we got a king in Shinar. This would be way over here. This would be like Tower of Babel, kind of Babylon, Ur, uh, Shinar, Elassar, Elam. Goyim is just a Hebrew word that means nation, so we're not even sure if that means like just, is that a specific? We don't, we just don't know. Um, they're all here. And again, we don't know who these people are, but I don't think that's the point. I think it's, these are the biggest and the baddest of, of the known world, of the places to be, the most powerful of any place around. These four, 
that's the, you, get, you get more from the locations than you do about the individuals. So these are, these are the biggest and the baddest of, uh, you know, a decent place. You get the, the rivers and you have water. I mean, these are, this is a decent place to be. The biggest and the baddest over here. And then you have these kings, four of them, making war with uh, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and then Bilah, that is Zor. I mean, even Moses is telling people of his own time, by the way, that's Zor, because they wouldn't even know. You see that? When you get this, like, oh, by the way, that is Zor, it means they have no idea where Bilah is, let alone somebody in 2022, right? So Moses is updating the thing. Hey, by the way, Bilah, is, that was a parking lot a long time ago. That's Zor now, today. Okay? Five of them here in the bottom of the Dead Sea. They're all kind of in a we don't know exactly where Sodom and Gomorrah. What are we talking about? Who is, is Lane in here? Yeah, what are we talking about? Is it right in the middle of the Dead Sea? Or, I mean, they're all, all five of them are in the bottom of this kind of area. Um, that is the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea. Okay. So, 12 years, these guys, these five are serving one that's over here, this Shedalahomar. But in the 13th year, they rebel. In the 14th year, so for 12 years, everybody's chummy. These are like the biggest and the baddest. All the big tech, all the mainstream media, everybody. I can throw those out. All right. But everybody's getting along really well. Okay, everybody's getting along really well. And then what happens? If somebody says one wrong thing, you're canceled. We're out of here, you know. And so then it's, okay. So somebody made some tweet, you know, and then there's a big revolt, right? Which is, by the way, Israel. This is all Israel, because what happens? Well, Israel's a puny nation, and everybody around them is a world power all the time. Assyria, Babylon, you just think about the history, like, oh man, they've never had power. Maybe their kingdom's not about earthly power. And yet, what happens? I mean, Hezekiah, Zedekiah is a great example. Zedekiah gets tired of it, he revolts. I don't want anything to do with you. Well, it doesn't go so well, they go into captivity. But he revolts against Nebuchadnezzar. I don't like you anymore. You know, that's the kind of thing that happens. So we have this, everybody's getting along, and there's a revolt. And then, uh, in the 14th year, all these guys from the east, they're coming, they defeat the Rephaim, the Zuzim, the Amim, the Horites. These are all people that are kind of, we, we just don't know exactly the, I mean, the Rephaim, the king of Og, is a is a descendant of the Rephaim. I mean, these are people in this in this kind of area. The uh, um, let's see, the Amim, the Horites in the country of Seir. Now that's a little more specific. That's that's Edom. So you got Jacob and Esau. Esau goes on to get Edom. Edom is down here. So he's kind of you get the set. They're coming in this way. They're cleaning shop. They go here. They're going down to Edom. Uh, the Zuzim are in Ham, right? And then uh, the Emim are in Shiva Kiriathaim, border of the wilderness. Then they turn back to En Mishpat. That is Kadesh. Now that's very helpful because Kadesh is where Israel sends the spies to go check out, hey, the grapes look plump and all this. That's right up here. And then what's the last one? Uh, or is that the last one? Defeated all the country of the Amalekites. Think Amalekites. Again, this is, wait, Amalekites. Uh, Moses and the people soon out of Egypt 
have to deal with the Amalek. Okay, so is Amalek related to these Malachites? Kind of seems like it, we're not sure. And then the Amorites who are dwelling in Hazazan Tamar, which sounds to me like En Gedi, based on where else it occurs in like Second Chronicles. It's the end of seven, yeah. It sounds like, oh, you can go there today. En Gedi is En Gedi. You can go there. They got hot springs there. Really nice. Uh, for the low, low price of $49.99. Um, but this is, the, this is the nature of the thing. The revolt comes through, and they're clean in house. Now, if they're clean in house like this, who lives there? Right? Who's doing his catechism study? And then all of a sudden, right, this is where, this is where Lot lives. This is like, there's a, there's a war going on. Um, the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bala went out. They joined in the valley of Sidim, which is, I mean, in the mountainous region, you have, there are valleys all over the place. Uh, so it's probably at the south of the sea that there's this valley of Sidim. Again, we don't know exactly. Four kings against five. Packers versus the Niners. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay, let's just take it easy, all right? <laughs> Sorry. What happened, though? All right, anyway. Now, the, the valley is full of pits. This is, I guess, I mean, this is, again, Israel. Everybody's running. They, they hide in caves. This is just like, this is a captivity before the captivity. So it's full of pits. They're hiding in pits. World powers coming in. Lot gets taken. The enemy takes all the possessions. By the way, this, these terms are, this is also what Israel loses. Uh, Israel loses all their possessions. They lose their, they lose their, uh, is this in verse 11? You look at verse 11. The enemy takes the possessions and all their, when you see provisions, that's food. Literally food. We'll talk about food very soon. These are the same kind of words you're going to see in Ezra, Nehemiah, for the return. Okay. Um, the world is on the doorstep of the church about to take all of their stuff, as it were. Israel uh, is a great example, but here we have Lot. Lot made the decision to chase after the earthly paradise. And Lot, you could say, oh, it wasn't his fault, you know. Um, he was just an innocent bystander in the midst of, well, whatever you say about this, Lot is taken. Lot is taken in verse 12, you can see that they also took Lot um, and his possessions. This would be the son of brother, uh, son of the brother of Abram. They took him and they left. He was dwelling in Sodom. Um, and then they went their way. That's when things heat up, okay? Now it's personal. Let me just stop there for a second. That's a lot of verses and a lot of geography in a short amount of time. Thoughts, questions before we get more into like Abe here in the news and Melchizedek and all of these other maybe more par popular parts of the chapter. Just let me know. Yeah, Dr. Veets. Does this imply that um, what was once a valley is now a sea? 
You know, there's probably overlap there. The thing is, you go there, you can float in it. Dead sea, so much salt. You can still float. I floated in the thing. The, the salt deposit, by the way, is really sharp and makes your ankles bleed. Okay, now with that said, back to the question. Um, it depends on where you enter. Like, okay, be careful there. Why do you, where are you going? Um, the, it, yeah, it's like a, it is in a, the sea is in a valley. And so at some times, you can see how it kind of goes up and down with... It hardly it never rains there, but you can see kind of how it goes up and down. It's in a valley, and so then now the question is: Well, what did that valley look like? You know, three thousand years ago, and you know, how do you account for all that? But I think you're. It seems to me that the Valley of Sidim, many would put it at the south of the sea, where it's kind of at its lowest, but it stops gathering water. Um, but the thing is, there are valleys on this side, too. There's a valley on this side. Yeah, that's a good question. What else? Anything else we can talk about a lot? Okay, one of my favorite parts here happens in this transition verse. So Lot, again, is... He's hanging out, and what he looks and see, thinks is, this is a great gig. This is what I'm after. And what happens? He gets taken. He flirts with the situation. He flirts with it. He, this, looks, this looks like the garden of God. And it, and it took him. He got taken, as it were. Um, that's what the biggest and the baddest of the world and the ways will do. Lot, without, before you know it, he's taken in the midst of this, okay? Um, I think that alone is worth thinking about. I'm going to go after this garden of God in front of me. And before you know it, before anybody knows it, without further reasoning and explanation, Lot's taken. Gone. Watch yourselves, for you know neither the day or the hour. Right? There's an urgency in that. Okay. Somebody escapes, like one of these terms for like a refuge, a fugitive. And I love how there's no, <laughs> this, the Jews have all these kinds of fanciful Luther rails against them. They just can't stand them because they get so silly. And Luther thinks that this is, the Jews, they have this tradition that this fugitive that informs Abram is Og, king of Bashan, because Og is a descendant of the Rephaim. And then they say, oh, he's just saying that to Abe, so he goes out in war, and he's going to go marry Sarah, and they're going to live happily ever after this whole thing. There's this whole thing that they have. We're not told on purpose because the anonymity is important. This is informing the church. This is informing the pastor. This is informing the priesthood. This is informing Father Abraham in this instance. Somebody comes and declares to Abraham, somebody's caught up. Somebody's captive. Somebody was taken. Okay? Um, let's go find Abe the Hebrew. By the way, only time he's described as a Hebrew right here. I, I, just, I don't know why that is. Yeah, refresh off chapter 11, the people of 
Eber ever? Um, like, to keep it straight with all these other just like people. Like, it's all these like um, this person king of here, this person king of here, and then it's just Abraham, Abraham, Abe, Hebrew. Abe Hebrew. In context where you have like, yeah, um, yeah, who are you, Jonah? Well, I'm a Hebrew. There's a way to kind of speak of a nationality or an ethnicity there that's a little more, like, instead of saying Israel, he says Hebrew. If you're relating to, like, Gentiles, look at all these nations that we just read. Yeah. So I'm with, I'm totally, you have a lot going for you there. With What's the significance of calling him a Hebrew versus, uh, you know, any of the other names that there are for God's people, like the yeah. My, my guess on that is Hebrew comes from the same, the word for Hebrew is ivri. Think of the letters E-V-R in English. And that's eber from the table of nations from whom you get ivriim, that is Hebrews. So like if you say you're a Hebrew in ivri, you're saying you're an eberite. Um, which would tie into this kind of, okay, of all the nations that chapter 10 told us, you're a descendant of Eber. So, yeah, I, I, on the world stage, you could, if we're just talking about, okay, descendants of Shem and Ham and Yepheth and all of this, okay, if you're an Ivri, you're a descendant of Eber. Um, it's just interesting that it, I, it's just a, yeah, is it because of this world context Abe the Hebrew, um, he's dwelling by the oaks. I love the, the detail. You told us that last chapter. Let's tell you again where he remained all these years, right? We're talking years, these kings. Um, we don't know the exact timeline of, capti- of Lot's captivity, but here he is. He's still hanging out by the oaks of, of, Amre, of Mamre the Amorite. Um, Amorites are kind of like precursors to Canaanites. We're going to hear this Amorite stuff in the next chapter too. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Um, he's hanging out there. He hears, this is one of my favorite verses. Because Lot is in relation to Abram, what? Lot is his not anymore. That's what's awesome about this. Listen carefully. Um, He's hanging out with, let me put it in English, Eshkol, on air. Um, these were allies of a covenant, literally, with Abram. When Abram heard that was taken captive his brother. No, it's not, it's your nephew. That's your nephew. No, it is my brother. No, it's not. It's your nephew. It's my brother. Everything changes. Lot, the son of his brother, has now changed to... He's my brother. All of a sudden, the familial relationship is not as central. He was taken. He was taken. The world stuff, the strongest and the biggest and the baddest of the world, caught him up. What the world is after, he was taken in that. And this is the, all of a sudden it's, that's my brother. No, it's your nephew. That's my brother. Everything changed. I'll refer to him 
more than once in this way, the narrative. When he heard that his brother was taken captive, he takes out these people uh, with whom he is in a covenant. When you hear the word or language of, what is it, allies? They cut a covenant with Abe. This is a covenant before there was a covenant. People with him, they're in a covenant. Does it sound familiar? Um, doesn't matter the national, where these guys come from. Amorites? Precursors to Canaanites? Hey, they're in a covenant with, it sounds like David too. He, we're David's mighty men, they're, from, they're not Israelites. You know, who's fighting for him? Uriah the Hittite. He's got all kinds of people in his cabinet. He's top 30 men. They're not Israelites. They're, he's got Israelites. He's got people from all, all around. The gospel's already spilling over. This is the church. Abe is the high priest. People are cutting covenants with him. And Lot has been grafted in. And even though Lot was, let's say in the words of the hymn, perverse and foolish, oft he strayed. But yet in love he was sought. So Abe hears that the same language of Israel being taken captive. My brother is taken captive. Well, he, he picked it, you know. He made his bed. Why don't you just deal with it? No, he heard that his brother was caught up in this mess. And he juiced up his <laughs> trained man. <laughs> it's like the word for strife or contention, only causative. So Abe causes his trained men to be all hammered up. Um, born in his house. This is the language that's going to be used. Whether you cut a covenant with Abe or you're born in his house, you got to be circumcised. This is the language that's going to be used elsewhere for who's with Abe? Who's with Abe? Natural peeps? Hey, we're born here. We're in your house. We're cut, cut the circumcision. That's the whole thing of 17. Or 17 makes clear multiple times. Anybody who is Believing in the promise that's being transmitted through Abe can cut a covenant with him as well. And that's, his, that's these Amorites, these Eshkol and Honor and Mamre. He's got both. This is the church. This is like a Jew and Gentile church that Abe has to go after Lot, their brother. 318 is a weird number, isn't it? It kind of sounds like, I don't know, salvation by a remnant. Gideon has 300. You know, these small, you got no chance. How does that even happen? These are the strongest kings in the world. He takes 318. And then what does he do? He does the stuff of a conquest. He smites them. Isn't that the King James? He, he strikes them. He takes the 318. They pursue after them as far as Dan, which is, Dan is in the north. Like, this is the... They pursue him as far as Dan. You can go to Tel Dan. Tel means hill or mountain. You can go to Tel Dan and you look at that. i got to go back there. It's been, Clea and I went about maybe 10 years ago now. You can go up there. It's an impressive place. It's still, we know exactly where that is. It's, he pursues them as far as Dan, which is in the north. Like This is where they're going to have all kinds of idolatry and so on. He pursues them as far as, you know, you think later in Israel they're taken captive. I don't care how far you've been taken captive. Think like Solomon's prayer at the temple. If we're ever taken captive, no matter how, even to the ends of the earth, please pursue us and bring us back to our senses. Abe pursues them as far as Dan and even then some. Um, he goes as far as Dan. He divides his forces up and he goes up all the way north of Damascus, which is, hey, 
wonderfully, nicely, even on our map here, with a huge dot that's like 400 miles wide. <laughs> um, he's he's anti uh, anti captivizing them. I don't know how to say it. Captivating. He's this is an anti conquest. Everybody came in like this, and like this, you might say, to to do their business here, the revolt. Assyria, this is another thing too, Assyria and Babylon, they're going to come dumping in this way. And what does Abe and his 318 do? Get out. This is like an anti-conquest, like an anti-captivity you know, captivity before any of that happens. Right? And it sounds so, we have 318 defeat and just clean house. Have you ever seen the paintings of Abraham and my, I have one in my office. Abraham meeting Melchizedek. He might be eighty whatever years old, but he's a burly looking dude. They got a strong group, and I think that's part of the point. Like this is going to press your rationale. Gideon's three hundred. They didn't have a chance. No, they were totally victorious. Something else was going on there, um, and that's the same with Abe. Uh, no matter what it is the worldly powers and so on, it will not triumph over God's history of salvation, his promised seed, and the preservation of his people in that, no matter how often they, again, perverse and foolish, oft I strayed. Then he brings back all this stuff that's used in the, in the captivity language. He brings back the possessions. He brings back, he caused to return. Hey, buddy, I'm causing you to return uh, Lot and Lot, his brother. Now it's his nephew. Now it's his brother. His possessions caused to return also all the all the women and the people, right? All the women and the people, which is again is this language for restoration. You, you read Ezra. This is Ezra. Okay. Uh, only it's done by Abe and his and his small little boy. They have a lot of empty pews. That's a small number, and yet. This reality just seems like even the biggest and baddest of the world wasn't a match for him. Go ahead. I just want to clarify. So you said that it, like the um, so would it be translated? Yeah, correct. Yeah, okay. yeah. Which I, I mean, that's not. You can use the word brother to to mean kinsmen, like family members, clan, and all that. But the I I think it's. Um, or even neighbor, like one individually, like every man and his brother, meaning like every each and individual one. You can use the word brother for a lot of things, but I love the transition from son of his brother to his brother. You, were, you just told me he's the son of his brother. No, he's his brother. You know, that kind of thing. Moses isn't aloof to what he's doing here. These are beautifully crafted narratives. And so I think, and, that, and I see that already in chapter 13 a little bit with this, a lot is introduced as a nephew, and then things, it's, the familial is secondary. There's a better relation, there's a tighter relationship at work there. The brotherhood that we have, brothers and sisters in Christ and so on, right? That, that language will continue. Um, should we talk Melchizedek? I, I just think some of this... Melchizedek gets all the attention, but I think some of this... So that's, on the one hand, we have this kind of captivity that happens. This is very much on the offense. 
Abe hears, and it's time to get down to business. Now, after this, okay, maybe a volunteer to read. Plenty of me, I guess. Maybe a volunteer. Yeah, thanks so much. Just the rest of 14 for us, please. Correct. Uh, after his return from the defeat of Sadar Lamar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shabbat, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Sodom, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king, to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten, and the share of the men who went with me. Let honor and Eshkol and Mamre take their share. Great, thanks so much. He returns, and right away we get this, okay, I thought the king of Sodom fell into a pit. Um, and then this is when the critics come in and say, oh, it's some uh, problem or whatever. Um, he returns, and what happens? Two different kings... One, we're in this valley again. We've got to be somewhere around here. We've got to be somewhere in here. I mean, we have King of Sodom, and then we have this Melchizedek, King of Salem, uh, Salem, Massachusetts, right? Of course, Salem, old school Jerusalem. Yeru is city, city of Salem. Jerusalem is city of peace. City of Salem. Jerusalem. Here you go. Salem. <laughs> um, we're in a, and we're in a valley. That's the other thing, too. This is the Jordan River. We're in a valley. And again, you have that little Kidron Valley. Just think of our Lord Kidron Valley, Garden of Gethsemane, weeping. David weeping, crossing the Kidron. So there's a valley right here. So we got Sodom, Salem, and a valley, and we've got two different approaches. Now that we've gone on the offense in this captivity situation, what do we have here? Okay. Two different kings. After this, okay, the captivity, the restoration of Lot. There's no full restoration here unless, you, unless Lot is connected to the, to the, shall we say, divine service. Let me unpack that to the holy things here. Okay, on the one hand, Sodom comes out. In fact, the language that's used there is he calls him out, quite literally, to call him. Uh, come over here. <laughs> come over here to call him. He goes out to call him. After the returning from smiting and all this, okay, and then this valley, that's one king that comes out. Hey, come on over here. Meanwhile, another king comes out, Melchizedek, king of Salem. He brings out bread and wine, priest of God Most High, El Elyon, God Most High, blesses Abe, blessed be Abe, 
God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. So creator, but not just creator, he's also the what? The deliverer. Blessed be God Most High, who's delivered you from the hand of your enemies. So he has created, but he's also delivered. Abe gives a tithe. Okay, now it's time, time for the offering. Um, the king of Sodom sees what's going on here, right? Abe has received something from Melchizedek. Lot's back in a holy place. <laughs> I mean, this is a lot better place than where Lot chose for himself, right? I mean, there's one thing. Lot was in Sodom. Lot was in Sodom. I mean, I can remember that, right? Lot's in Sodom. Abe brings him back to what? Jerusalem, really. This valley that's close to... Okay, Sodom sees that one of his former peeps, shall we say, is receiving something from a different king. Abe even gives... I mean, this is where Lot is. He's back with Abe, even though Abe is central here. Abe's the one he's receiving, right? Melchizedek brings out bread and wine, pays a tithe. The king of Sodom says this. The king of Sodom says, Give me the souls and the possessions take for yourself. Give me the souls and everything else, all the kingdoms of the world you may have. Look at all these. I mean, one thing is you even have this to offer. King of Sodom. I thought your bum was just kicked. Okay. We just had this war. Right? And then here's the king of Sodom rearing his ugly head again, you might say. Okay. Abe just cleaned house, the revolt and all this. Somehow, and king of Sodom fell into a pit. I mean, now he's back. Lost been restored, but now he's back. And Abe is approached by two different kings. One of them is blessing. Here you go. I got a blessing for you. I'm blessing God. I'm also blessing you. I'm bringing bread and wine out. You give me a tithe. It's a, there's something up and running here. What a priesthood. Luther calls him Shem. I can talk about that soon. We have another king that says, all right. All right. You can have everything. You can have all this stuff. You can have the riches. You can have the biggest, baddest, all the, all the possessions out there. But just, just give me the souls, literally. Give me the souls. This is when the church is tempted to sell out and enter into a kind of spiritual captivity all over again to make some cash with the world. Go ahead. I think the king of Sodom also may have just wanted Lot back because if Lot is in Sodom in his kingdom, that Abraham is not going to be attacking Sodom and like Abraham will help protect Sodom. What's your, what's your price? Just give me the souls. You can, have, you can have it all if you would just give me those souls. Is that not the, the ongoing temptation, right? Um, take everything you want or need in order to, so that I can get my, yeah, my, my person back or your allegiance or whatever the case is. We can be on good terms. We can be chummy. Just sell out the souls. We'll pack your plate. We'll pack. You want people? You want people? We'll pack your. We'll pack you with people. You want money? What is it? Just give me the souls. That's all I need. You can be rolling in it. 
expanding left and right, all that, just give me the souls. Abe doesn't like this king. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Abe says, buzz off, no. Abe says, um, Abe says, I have made a vow in the divine service, is what he says. I have lifted my hand. This is all what people, this is, I perform my vows, you know, to the Lord Most High. The psalmist, the vows are everywhere. You make vows in the divine service. That's what you do. Abe says, I have made a vow to the one true God. I'm not going to take anything from you. Nobody's going to be able to say, well, I've just, you've, I've made you rich. And then this language of portion, which is repeated, and food, what do you have in English? Uh, what they've eaten, yeah. He wants everybody to be fed. All of his people, whether born in his house or not, the young men who went with me, and then all these, the ones grafted in. He wants them all to have food, and he wants them all to have their portion, which is the same kind of language of, it's a priestly thing, the, the Lord is your portion and strength. You don't get any inheritance because that's the Lord is your portion. That's what he wants for all of his, all of his people. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, Judy. Did I miss you? Where's Judy? There we go, Judy. Yeah, thanks. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very possible. Give me the souls. I mean, it's a different word. He could say, "Give me, give me Lot." He could say, "Give me Lot and his kinsmen," or something. He says, "Give me the women and the." He says, "Give me the souls," which could refer to. I mean, sometimes you can use the word "souls" for like how many souls? 185 souls, sir. You know, like we mean people. But so yes, I think it's very likely that Sodom is referring to. That the king of Sodom is referring to, I want those, I want possession of those people. And yeah, is that, are those people just from Sodom? I mean, is it, is it possible that some of these other kings had, were, are done? People who had allegiance to these other kings, those kings Abe did away with, but the king of Sodom just happened to be the only one that, I don't, I don't even know how he makes it to this meeting, but there he is. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, I mean, that's what becomes clear soon is what is Abraham really after? Well, I don't want anything from you. I just want, he's fine with Melchizedek's bread and wine, apparently. And then let everybody just have their portion or their share, the food. That's all he wants. He doesn't want anything from the king of Sodom, and he's not going to give in to this. You can have the people even if you give me everything. Um, he resists that. So, yeah, what was the king of Sodom thinking? I mean, I think the only thing we have from him is what he says, and that is, give me the souls and take, and uh, or but the possessions take for yourself, literally. So, you can, 
Yeah. To me, it's just like he's gonna lose all his power if he loses his kingdom. So he may mm-hmm. have seen Abram as a threat. Like, oh, hey, look what great thing Abram did. Yeah. These people are gonna now want to have allegiance to Abram sure. instead of me, who was the king. But yeah, there's definitely a concern for look. I'll give you name what you want. I mean, how many how many times do you see that in the Bible, Judy? That's the other thing too. Give me. Name whatever you want, up to half my kingdom. Okay, well, John the Baptist, head on a silver platter, whatever the case is, like, I'll give you whatever you want. I'll give you whatever you want, just give me the people. Um, and Abe, Abe, Abe turns that down. I mean, that's the, but I think that's the temptation of, you just rescued him, everything is, Lot's in a great place, but then immediately after, seemingly immediately, right after in the narrative is, can you just sell them out again? Even I'll give you name your price. Name your price. Just I gotta have them back. And I mean, it could and have been, been well-intentioned, like you're saying, but based on like the fact that it's only a few chapters later that we have the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing, this will come up again. <laughs> Lot's going back to Sodom, and the Lord still rescued him. Yeah. Right. That's part of the whole. I mean, Lot. Oh, this is awesome, Abe. You know, I love your place. And then all of a sudden it's, hey, what's this song over there? You know, now we're doing the whole thing again. Why'd you go back to the same old, like a dog returning to its vomit, you know, Peter would say. That's what we do. And Lot's going back, and he's still rescued. He's still rescued. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, More technical matter, the language of dog. Oh, yeah. I don't recall that being a way in which Genesis speaks until this point, and it comes with Melchizedek. Right. But I might be wrong about that. Is there some other place for that God of Mordecai? You get it within this context of all these kings. Right. And Melchizedek is the name of the priest of God Most High, and then Abraham is blessed as. What is he blessed as? Something God Most High? The servant of God most time? Um, 19, right? So, blessed be Abram by El Elyon, God, uh, yeah, high, the highest, God the highest, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be El Elyon, same language, that most high God or the highest God, who's delivered your enemies from your hand. You're right that that language is weird. It's, it's, it's a new language, I think, in Genesis. And it is. It makes you uh, reflect a bit more on the Christmas announcement from heaven. Glory to God in the Glory highest. To God in the highest. But this is uh, almost as if it's always established against the kings of this earth. Yeah, I like that. What, I, what, I really, what really strikes me is that Abe is the one that adds Yahweh to it in response because in uh in 22 is it i've lifted my hand to the lord god most high he adds yeah he everybody listening in on the divine service glory to god in the highest that's the god of israel by the way that's the god of the hebrews everybody hear that (laughs) you know that kind of abe adds the so then if you're i mean yeah that's the thing if you're a critic you say oh no that's Oh, that was, they made a mistake there on God's name and all this. No, 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 no. <laughs> Go ahead, Temish. Um, speaking of higher things and high points, this is the location that this, is, this, this little offer is going down. Would this be the closest thing we have to the 
the top of the temple. Because that is the same type of To be king, I'll give you all the things if you just worship it sounds familiar. It doesn't sound familiar. That's how it strikes me. It strikes me as he takes him up to a high place, and Jerusalem's yeah. on the hill, right? And we were Salem. We're in Salem, right? And he says all these things. You can take name whatever you want. Just do this this one thing, and that is for Sodom. Give me the people. Give me literally the souls. I mean, why did Moses use the word souls instead of people when he just said people? Um, give me the souls. It sounds very familiar. All this I'll give you. Do you even have that to give, by the way? You know? But that's how we, that's the temptation, though. For the church of all times and places. For the church's schools and universities of all times and places. What's your, what's your price? You know? Um, just sell out on the soul. That's all we're asking you to do. Just sell out on the soul. And you can, have, you can have whatever you want of the world. Yeah, does that sound familiar? That sound, that's exactly the temptation. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I don't know if there's anything here. I, I haven't started Hebrew studies yet, but I feel like in other places in the Bible, when they talk about priests, they talk about them being a priest. I don't know if the word a exists in Hebrew, but here it just says he was priest. Correct. Of God most high. Yeah. And I don't know if it's... It is, that is what it says. It just said, we don't have like an indefinite article in Hebrew that A or an doesn't exist. It's just, you got the words and you got to supply them. We do have a definite article if it were the priest. Uh, it just says, yeah, pre, he was literally, he priest to God high. He was, yeah, so Luther thought he was Shem. Uh, this is actually one of the reasons, one of the places where he agrees with the, the Jewish tradition. He said, all oh, these rabbis are so silly. And all of a sudden he, he says that now they, they thought he was Shem. And he's like, I am willing to gladly accept this opinion. <laughs> Love him. Now, why does he do that? He wants it to be connected to a historical individual. He wants the office of the ministry. Here's the priest. Everybody knows the, high, every, the highest priest of the world right now is Shem. And Melchizedek is a title. Think Reverend, Doc, or whatever, the past father. Melchizedek is a, like, Melchizedek Larson. <laughs> Melchizedek Shem. He's against the kind of, you know, the spirit just kind of spoke to me without any mediation just immediately so um, I think the point now Melchizedek you probably know this Melchizedek is talked about quite a bit elsewhere in the Bible one other book and that is in Hebrews we have like three chapters devoted to Melchizedek in the book of Hebrews I think the point is that, I mean, this is Abe, right? And he's on top of the world. There is no greater victory. Abe is top notch. And yet he's still under the office. The Lord's office of the ministry endures. Melchizedek, I mean, he, where does he come from, right? This is what the Hebrews does. Without father, without mother, no genealogy. Beginning of days, end of days. He seems like he's just kind of plopped in there. And I think that's the point. This, this is... This is a witness to the endurance of, of the office of the ministry. The fact that there's this higher 
even to Abe, right? Even at the top of the world, he's still, he's receiving what this high priest of the time is giving him. So I think it's in some ways reflective or an embodiment of the priesthood as it exists in all times and places. And that's not to say Melchizedek isn't, it couldn't be Shem or whatever else. It just says that, that it's written in the kind of terms to extol that office um, no matter how glorious the earthly battle is. Abe's still under it. He pays tithes. He pays tithes and he receives. From, I mean, this is, this is where the victory is connected to. Why did you even have such a worldly victory? Um, what ultimately is behind all this? Everybody returns, everybody runs to the divine service at the end of the day. Um, Luther knows also, about, real quick on the bread and wine, he's aware of, I brought this because it usually comes up, he's aware of debates about bread and wine. And he wants, to, wants you to know that he's against the idea that you, you look at that like it's the sacrifice of the mass. This idea that we're offering this, this up to God. Um, but at the same time, he's okay thinking about the correspondences at a general level to what our Lord would eventually institute. Um, I have more. To, I don't know. We're out of time, so I'm just gonna. I'm gonna leave that there. Were you gonna ask about that? I brought them just in case that came up. Usually, it does actually. Um, so, I think the big point there would be in Melchizedek. I mean, this is gonna be the ministry. This is gonna be the Lord's serve bread, table show bread, all the bread that's in the tabernacle, temple, and so on, and then the libations. The wine that they'll get once they get to the promised land and so on. This is, these are liturgical things. That doesn't say this is, hey, this is a, the Lord's Supper before it was instituted or anything like that. What it says is these are, this is the high priest bringing out liturgical things. Abe, there's offering. <laughs> Abe pays vows. Their prayers are blessings. And then, you know, back to the, to the week. So, okay. Um, were you, go ahead, Joe, on, were you going to... Yeah. And then this guy shows up and like, oh yeah, he's he's the priest, you know, and this is like how many uh like thousand, hundred years or so after the flood is this like what what's this guy been doing the whole time? <laughs> it's uh, yeah. <laughs> like is, is there like some sort of church there that we don't know about? Uh, yeah, I mean, Luther says he doesn't, he preaches, he doesn't finish this sermon in a single hour. Everybody flocks to hear what, he's, what this sermon is all about. Um, he, yeah, Melchizedek did not finish this sermon in a single hour. Um, he sees it as Shem. He's the highest priest of the land. We know from the records, you can still trace him being alive at the time. Um, Luther thinks that's top notch. He's the highest priest. He's the bishop of the whole world, this Shem. And, but I think you're, one of the things that I have, the question that I, why, well, so what effect, why don't you tell us more about this guy? He's over there priesting, right? It's just, it's just assumed that this exists 
And I think the effect of not telling you all that, oh, he was Shem, and this how, you know, his father, mother, and all this. No, you just plop it in there as it, this endures. Through the flood, terrible times, through the best of cleaning house throughout the world, this is just, this is always there and to be returned to and triumphant and is the ultimate source of riches and food and victory and so on. I think Certainly Lot. I mean, yeah, Abe, this is, I mean, in some ways, Abe is that, is the Christ figure of the good shepherd who. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and this is, what Abe does for Lot was done for him, you know, that in, in that sense, right? They were both called out of darkness and so on. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Israel is, again, the captivity, right? Israel's taken in many and various ways throughout her existence. His existence, you know, it depends on how you refer to Israel, right? And yet what happens? Well, the tabernacle, the temple, everything is always, there's always this, this presumed divine service that's going on in the midst of all this takenness, I guess you could say, right? It's always being returned to. I think that's why Melchizedek is just such a, I mean, in some ways, enigmatic figure, but also very profound, and that is this is the place to return no matter what's going on. It's there. It's it's um, bestowing, yeah, the good gifts and also there for the celebration. Like that's the culmination of whatever's going on, good, bad, or ugly. Yeah, absolutely. There's a rhythm there, right? Okay. Aim says it's time. Lord, bless us, defend us from evil, and bring us safely to everlasting life. Amen. Have a good week. Blessings on the start of the semester if you're the Concordia folk, especially. Good to see you again.